Welcome to Mamir's Well, a Burning Hallows production. We are your hosts, Kitty and Alora. And we are back for another season of Depth, Darkness, and Taboos. Starting off season two, we are discussing a topic every fledgling witch ponders, initiation. Get ready for an hour of spiritual spelunking as we excavate the definitions and history of initiation and spiritual practice, share our personal experiences, and reveal macabre rites of passage into witchcraft traditions. So grab your goblet and get ready to drink from the well. Disclaimer, this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the practices mentioned are in no way sanctioned or recommended by the hosts. Hello. Hello. So. So. We're back. We are back. For another season. Feels of good. darkness. No. Feels good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I always, en- I always enjoy our breaks, but then like after two weeks, I'm like, um, when are we recording again? <laughs> I know. I definitely miss it. Okay. So before we get started and stuck into this topic, I have to ask your opinion. Do you think that every witch goes through an initiation into witchcraft? I do. I think that everyone's experience will be different. And, but I also think that sometimes it might be long and drawn out over many years. And sometimes it might be quick and traumatic even. Yes, I agree. I I think everyone goes through some sort of initiation. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to get into this in a minute, but I think initiation can be versatile. Like, you know, a lot of people hear the word initiation and they think that it has to be among a group of people and it has to be, you know, or it has to be which a witchcraft practice that is part of a culture or things like that. And that's not necessarily the case. I agree wholeheartedly. Yay. So why don't you heartedly? (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you tell us the definition of initiation? Oh, okay. So according to our friend, Merriam Webster, initiation has three main meetings meanings, meetings, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So initiation is the rites, ceremonies, ordeals, or instructions with which one is made a member of a sect or society, or is invested with a particular function or status. It is also the condition of being initiated into some experience or sphere of activity. Right. And so an example of that would be like initiated into knowledgeableness or initiated into, uh, pick a hobby. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like 
a lot of people will say that they were initiated into um, pottery, for example, when they have their first catastrophic event as a potter, things like that. <laughs> Got you. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It does. So, but I think we need to discuss the difference between initiation and dedication quickly. Mm-hmm. So they're two totally different things. So initiation is the process of becoming aware and a novice within a practice, whether you're conscious of it or not. Mm. And dedication is where you have passed the initiate phase and have decided that this is absolutely for you and you are ready to become a dedicant to a particular practice. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. But I, I particularly want to focus on the second definition of initiation here, which was the condition of being initiated into some experience or sphere of activity, mm-hmm. uh, because we will explore the first in a few minutes when we talk about actual physical initiations. So that was the right ceremonies, ordeals, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's my experience that with the vast majority of witches, whether they're in a tradition or not, are initiated into witchcraft through a personal trial initiation where life is the conductor. Oh, definitely. Right. So that might be a little bit confusing, but I'll just clarify and say like life literally brings you to witchcraft in some way. And in most cases it's through something like a dark night of the soul. And usually it contains a mystical element or elements. Yes. So some people may be listening to this thinking, well, how can witchcraft be good if you're brought to it by trauma? Well, because witchcraft is the aha moment. It's the epiphany. It's what usually ends the dark night in most cases, um, well, at least, at least that, that I've heard. Yeah. And I think that you could, not to draw this parallel, but you can say that with people that come to Christianity, they say, Oh, I was going through a terrible time in my life and I found the church or I found Jesus or whatever. It's, you know, I think. Yeah. Well, and I feel like what the difference is at least in my experience, now this not may not be everyone's experience, but in my experience, the difference is is the mystical element because I don't know. Oh, yeah, no, I'm just saying like it, it if people want to be like, oh, how is this, how is this good if you're going through trauma and you're brought to it through trauma? But it, it's like that with any kind of spiritual enlight- enlightenment, in my opinion. Right. Yes. That was my point just to, you know. And at the end, towards the end of this episode, Kitty and I will tell our personal initiation stories and you'll see what we mean by like mystical elements Mm -hmm. most definitely so i guess we're going to go into the history of initiation and spirituality so do you want to talk to us about rites of passage and initiation going way back yeah i can uh okay so People have maintained rites of passage and initiation rites for as long as man has 
nearly existed. So not quite all the way back, but for a very long time. Mm -hmm. We know this because even in the Paleolithic era, they were burying their dead. And while this doesn't tell us what their initiations were, we know that they had some concept of spirituality to have buried their dead with tools and items and even moving their dead with them by stuffing the bodies with plant matter to make the smell of decay bearable. So while that's a funerary rite, we can assume that there were initiation rites as well, especially going back to Mesoamerican art. When you mm. look at that, there are theories, which I wholeheartedly believe that they were representative of Mesoamerican deities. And the reason the art looks the way that it does is because there were entheogenic substances that were ingested by these people. Yeah. Uh, and I would put money on the fact that this was some part of an initiation. Definitely. And were was just, I think I already know the answer, but were some of these paintings of deities in caves? Oh yes. Lots were. So and, but it wasn't just being paint. taken into the womb of the earth, right? That, that, that's a part of yeah. probably an initiation process. And it wasn't just cave paintings. Um, mm. This was also so paleolithic. I, I don't know if it was paleolithic or maybe a little bit later, but there were also sculptures and those types of things starting to be made mm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yes. But yes, there, there's actually, I cannot remember the name of it at the moment, but there's actually a pretty famous cave where, uh, in, in Mesoamerican, in, in Mesoamerica, where there is, it's just covered in this type of art. And it's like, there's like stations, if that makes sense. You start in one place and you end where you end is like in front of a, a pretty big statuary Hmm. of a deity figure yeah and you know and if you look at the artwork you can totally see what i mean because the artwork reflects what these people were seeing so they have giant eyes with big pupils and we know that that is a side effect of entheogens for the pupils to be dilated things like that so the art is distorted because the theories are that they're from psychedelic visions. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Very interesting. Oh, and we talk about that a little bit with Kobe Michael mm, last season. We did. Mm-hmm. We definitely did. Also, any rite of passage can be considered an initiation. And what do I mean by this? Okay. So a good example is the White Mountain Apache Nation has a rite of passage for girls when they get their first cycle um, as an initiation into womanhood. They are really big community affairs and they last for four days. And when I say really big community affairs, I mean the whole community is invited. (laughs) That's not embarrassing. Yeah, right. Uh, And we're talking that tens of thousands of dollars get spent in modern day on these ceremonies. The girl is dressed in full traditional costume and she undergoes several grueling tasks, including a marathon of dancing, singing, praying, cooking, running, and being painted. 
during this time, the girl is spiritually undergoing a metamorphosis into womanhood by transforming symbolically into changing woman, Mm -hmm. uh, which is the ultimate feminine deity to the Apache. And just think triple goddess here, because that's a similar, that's where we can draw a parallel. And these ceremonies, they're beautiful, but they're also physically and mentally exhausting. And when I say marathon of dancing, I mean, these girls have to dance from the time they wake up. And, and I think they, I think it's like 24 hours. They have to dance without stopping. When the ceremony is concluded, the girl will have been initiated into womanhood spiritually, just as she has physically. I think if I could just cut in and say, yeah, yeah. If it was me, I would ask for a camelback backpack filled with monster energy drink. <laughs> That's kind of part of it. The fasting and, and those. Oh yeah. I think don't quote me on this, but I think they're given water, but I don't think that they're given food during this time. I'd have been passing out. Uh, <laughs> I got that low blood sugar. So <laughs> But I think it's pretty neat how, as a woman, you undergo this physical transformation. And then in this mm-hmm. culture, you undergo the spiritual transformation into literally performing ecstatic dance where you take on this, the mythos of the changing woman. Yeah. So that's pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, witchcraft traditions and covens, Christianity, Judaism, Muslim, and pretty much every spirituality you can think of has an initiation practice. And mm-hmm. interestingly enough, the word baptism is a synonym for initiation. Oh yeah. Makes complete sense to me. Okay, Kitty. So yeah. why don't you break down how initiation rites within witchcraft can be constructed? All right, let me break it down for y'all. Break it down. (laughs) Break it down. So initiations typically contain traditions, rituals, and invocations or words. They usually follow a physical and or mystical experience marker. For example, when a woman gets her cycle, which we were talking about, or when a member of the practice obtains a specific sign or vision. Hmm. Initiation rites within witchcraft almost always require self-sacrifice of some kind. So fasting, tattooing, there's also scarification, disfiguration, celibacy, and many others. Mm. And they almost always require endurance of uncomfortability. So you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to have to endure it for a while, basically Mm. like dancing for 24 hours with no food again, Mm. as an example. (laughs) Initiation rites within systems of witchcraft or among pagan cultures that uh, sometimes they'll include other people. Generally, when this happens, it's an elaborate community event. And again, we were just talking about the Apache nation and how when a girl changes into a woman, she gets her first menses. It's, you know, the whole neighborhood, the whole town joins in, right? Just throw a period party. You know what I mean? Yes. You ever seen those? Oh yeah. Moon parties. I would love it if it was a normal thing. And she would kill me for saying this, but when it happens to my daughter, I want to do something special for her, but I'm not going to, you know, like invite the whole city or anything. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so the initiate is celebrated upon a successful completion of the process and could gain physical and spiritual gifts and wisdom as a result of going through uh, completing the process, basically. And okay, so initiations can happen more than once to an individual within a lifetime. I agree with this for sure. That is definitely true. Many witchcraft traditions have degrees, levels, or stages of progression that require an initiation ceremony. In Haitian voodoo, for example, there are usually four levels of initiation, with the fourth level being initiated as a mambo or priest. Yes. I feel like you were trying to talk to me a little about this um, one night when I was not yeah. in the right state of mind to be talking about this, but I just want to bring something up real quick. I think it's interesting. And you might've said this exact thing, how there's a lot of, you know, levels of initiation within certain traditions. Yeah. The cults use that as well. Right. Yes. There's a lot of cults that use that. Like, for example, we were talking about Nexium in one of, in the cult episode that we did, they were very much all about the, okay, now you have to do this in order to move up another level, you know, and become more enlightened. Right. So yeah, I don't even know what to make of that. It's just an interesting thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like So I feel like the difference is, is that these are longstanding traditions. Oh, definitely. These are, you know, these are things that have historical origins, historical basis. And I Mm -hmm. feel like, because let's face it, Haitian voodoo has been around since I don't even know when, um, a lot of the African diasporic traditions. Um, and then if we even think about British folk magic, British traditional magic, you know what I mean? Like, so I think that each system has their own, uh, historical basis for the ceremonies, rituals, et cetera, that they put into initiations. And I think I, I find that that's the big difference between, witchcraft initiations versus cult initiations. (laughs) Well, and I think that the, the cults are borrowing or no, not borrowing, stealing poorly these ideas, right. And trying to mimic these things because, because they're so ingrained in us. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Ah, so messed up. But anyway, I want to hear about some of the macabre or taboo or more controversial initiation rites that are still practiced today. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Spirit Nest. Spirit Nest is a warm nest for free-spirited individuals from all paths of spiritual practices, walks of life, and lifestyles. Pagans, Wiccans, witches, hippies, moon children, crystal lovers, healers, empaths, and the list goes on. Spirit Nest offers a wide selection of enchanted, high-quality, natural and affordable beauty and skincare lines, 
altar provisions alongside original artwork printed on clothing, home decor items, in addition to hand-picked quality lifestyle items. Visit spiritnest.com and don't forget to enter Oracle 10 upon checkout for a 10% discount on your witchy favorites. Okay, so this is why we have the disclaimer at the beginning. Okay, so one of the first ones is ritual animal sacrifice. Now, I know this is super controversial, especially for animal lovers, people who take on animal causes and feel really close to animals, but they exist in African diasporic traditions a lot, such as candomblé, uh, Haitian voodoo, santeria, etc. Also indigenous cultures throughout the world, such as the Japanese Ainu, I believe that's how you say that, who have a traditional bear sacrifice. Um, I know, I know with, because one of my besties is Brazilian. And so I know in her traditions, the, the animal sacrifice is so many animals that have four legs, so many that have two, et cetera. Uh, things like that. Wow. And, and it's still, it's still a practice it's still done. Mm-hmm. Also, let me just say this as well. These practices that I'm going to mention, they also can be adapted for modern use in a not so like in a more digestible way. Right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. when we talk about ritual animal sacrifice, we don't necessarily like if, you can't stomach having to sacrifice a live animal. <laughs> you can always, you know, buy uh, a steak or chicken or what have you at the market and then dedicate that to your initiation. Does that make sense? Can we throw it on the grill and eat it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. That's, what I mean. that's another okay. thing as well with ritual animal sacrifice. Uh, I, I do know for a fact that they are eaten. Like it's not just they're being killed for ritual purposes. Gotcha. So these animals do feed for, for the most part are, are feeding the people who are sacrificing them. Okay. Well, I mean, I know, but it's, sense. it's a touchy subject. It's controversial. It that's what we I do. Mean, it is. And like to vegans, they, you know. Oh like, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm aware. But again, I know vegans that don't even like if, if meat comes around them, they get like, Oh, you know, so. Right. Which to each their own. Right. I'm not hating on you. I'm just saying that's the truth of it, but we're, we're into the controversial. So that's what we're talking about. Exactly. All right. <laughs> so deal with it. Okay. <laughs> All right. What's the next one? Fasting. Mm. The, this is the withholding of food and or water for an extended period of time to induce mystical experience. Mm. This is popular among modern practitioners and coven initiations. And dare I say some branches of Christianity. Yeah. I think it's funny how they go, oh, well it's fasting. Yeah. You're basically pushing yourself into a mystical experience, bro. You know? Yes. And I can't remember if it was the Mayan 
Aztecans or the Aztecs. One, one of those two, um, or maybe it was the Incas. I don't know. It was a Mesoamerican. Wait, is this the 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 sword the yeah. sword and the penis story? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Tell it. In it's order to, <laughs> in order to the the king of the or the chief leader among one of the Mesoamerican indigenous, they would start. They would fast for. I don't, I don't even know how long it was. I want to say it was 30 days, but I can't remember, but they would fast to the point where they were literally like on the brink of starvation. And then they would climb to the tallest plateau they could get to. And then they would stab themselves in the genitals with a swordfish nose. So I so totally could didn't mean to have steal vision. your thunder there. Huh? <laughs> So they could have visions. Like that was the whole point of it. I I was like, I didn't think this was going to be the actual story. So I feel bad that I stole your thunder. I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. You're good. Well, we talk Which a lot. Did so we you know a lot of my stories. Uh, well, and we talked about this in an episode. I don't remember which one it was now. Anywho. It's an interesting story though. Okay. The next one is solitude and confinement. So the cloistering of initiates and solitude seems to be a pretty widespread practice among traditions such as Celtic Celtic Druidry, Norse Sea, African diasporic uh, practices, and the list goes on. Hmm. So again, besties from Brazil. And so I know in her traditions, one of the initiation practices is to be basically cut off from everyone for a a certain period of time. And and essentially it's to ensure that you're sure about what you want to do. If that makes sense, because all all you have is sounds more like a vacation than an initiation. (laughs) Oh no. There's other things that go along with it, like fasting and, um, (laughs) And not having luxuries, things like that. So, ah, okay. And so not just the confinement then. No, not just the confinement, but that's just one element. Darn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the next one is kind of, uh, different categories. So Mm -hmm. body mutilation. So this is done by the self, but also by members of the tradition or practice. Uh, and there's, mm-hmm. there's a couple different levels here. So Kitty, why don't you tell us about the first one? Oh boy. Okay. This is another one of those moments you send the kids out of the room or earmuff them. <laughs> um, so the first one is cutting Ooh. again, practice. I'm not judging. It's just you know, I just makes me cringe a little bit because the pain part of it. But again, this is practiced mainly by uh, African diasporic and indigenous traditions, very brave people. Specifically, cutting allows spiritual sickness to leave the body or a deity or helpful spirit to enter the body in uh, spiritist systems. Yeah. So although we said African diasporic and indigenous traditions, really it's any tradition that is spiritist. If you don't know what that is, I recommend Googling it, but basically they work with the spirit world a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So we're going to talk about in a second, but question I've seen something similar to this, but it's hanging with like 
they have hoops in their skin and then they hang from them. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. It's actually the Sundance ceremony in Ogallala Lakota Sioux indigenous nation. I say Ogallala Lakota Sioux. It could be in all of the Sioux nation, but uh, I just know from my pops that the sun, that's how the Sundance works. Wow. I just like the level of commitment. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thank you. Right. Well, wow. Okay. What about scarification or dismemberment? Scarification and dismemberment is another form of body mutilation. This is an older practice and it still exists regularly among shamanic cultures who see initiation as death and rebirth, both physically and spiritually. Now, let me just say that shamanic initiations, because I have read about several different cultures and the initiation practices therein, shamanic initiations are a whole nother level of whoa. Like, yeah. I can't even, I don't know if I would ever have the balls to do what those people do. Mm-hmm. Like, mm. <laughs> yeah, um, no, like mad respect, but I just don't know that I could be that selfless. Right. <laughs> with myself, if that makes sense. I agree. Oh, yeah. Like, kind of, I kind of like this foot. Like, (laughs) I don't want to lose it. Exactly. Okay. And last but not least, we have tattooing. Yeah. This is used in a lot of coven initiation rites, as it's a modern and relatively safe way to offer a blood sacrifice for spiritual purposes. Mm. Indigenous cultures from the Norse to the Picts to the Maori and Hawaiians all use tattoos as a means of physical and spiritual identification. You could literally tell a person's life story through their body art. This is why tribal style tattooing is so controversial. Correctamundo. Kind of like Maui's tattoos in Moana. Yeah, so literally those tattoos like way back when could tell who your family was, what your job was within the culture, uh, how wealthy you were, um, your crimes, so to speak, if you had any, yeah. All, yeah. Just by your body art. Very cool. Okay. So the next little controversial practice we're going to talk about in initiations, spirit possession. Mm-hmm. So again, this is a big part of initiations among spiritist sects of pagan and witchcraft practices. And in some traditions, this is how you are claimed by your deity. So you literally will get cuts on the back of your head or the apex of your head to let those spirits enter your body. So can I just, I just want to say something for everybody that's listening. Yep. I 
so in my form and in my experience of what witchcraft is, honestly, none of these things have been a part of my initiation. <laughs> so I don't, I just don't want people to think that this is like, like newcomers think that this is all part of a, it's not, not a part of initiation processes, but most like, I just want to say a lot of modern, like solitary, witches don't I don't want to say they don't engage in all of this, but a lot of this I feel is indigenous, right? And has to do with some specific traditions. No, right. So more so than like a modern just witchcraft kind of solitary deal. Right. So when we're talking about traditions, covens, cultures, etc., I think they more engage in these practices than your solitary witches do which we're going to talk about initiation from a solitary perspective in, in a minute. I do think that a lot of solitary, which is that, well, I don't know about the majority, but a lot of them do choose to get spiritual tattoos. Um, oh, for sure. Day. Well, that, yes. Um, so that aspect, yes. Uh, I also have known quite a few spiritual or quite a few solitary, witches who fast as well. For I think I'm more talking about like the, the dismemberment and the cutting and those kind of things. Oh, no, no, no. Like, yeah. Uh, like I said, definitely those practices are part of traditions. Yeah. That have to do with different cultures and. Yeah. I yeah, just wanted to that. reiterate that in case anyone. Yeah. Forgot. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. Yes. So spirit possession, mm-hmm. which interestingly enough, uh, we are going to have an episode of Mimir's well later in the season, all about spirit possession. Mm-hmm. Yay. So we'll talk more about that then really lighthearted, you know, uh, just light and love kind of stuff. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, and last but not least, the use of entheogenic herbs or drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. These are psychedelic substances that allow spiritual practitioners to see beyond the veil and see the liminal to experience mm-hmm. oneness and to expand the mind. An example of this would be ayahuasca used among Peruvian, Brazilian, and other South American indigenous shamanic cultures, as well as salvia divinorium, which is used among the Maztec or Mexican indigenous shamanic cultures, uh, just to name a few. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So now that we've covered all of the macabre taboo, controversial initiation practices that do exist, Mm -hmm. why don't you tell our listeners your initiation story? Okay. So remember earlier when I said, I think sometimes these processes are long and drawn out. Yes. I think mine was kind of long and drawn out (laughs) (laughs) there. uh, I really began as in my childhood, I had a rough childhood and I won't go into a lot of details about it. I'm sure there have been rougher childhoods, but mine was definitely rough. And I think honestly, from the time I was born until I got out on my own. I consider my whole childhood a dark night of the soul. Mm. I know that sounds extreme, but 
I just wasn't happy. It wasn't good. And throughout this whole process though, it seemed this is when I was connecting to the other side, right. you know, initially. So I had a lot of dreams, like lucid dreams, uh, astral, going to the astral plane, experiences with ghosts, as well as elementals. And I think it really started to take shape when I was 13. Uh, was probably the darkest part of my childhood. I got suicidal, depressed. Coming out of that, when I was 14 is when I found the craft. Mm. And my teenage years were not much easier, but at least I had, you know, my practice and my studies to kind of rely on or fall back on, get me through the hard time. Right. And, you know, then at the age of 30, I had another dark night of the soul in which I underwent transformation on many different levels. That was pretty painful identity crisis kind of thing. But basically that was when I decided I wasn't going to live for anyone else. I was going to live for myself and be who I am and not care what other people think. And I could go on and on and on, but (laughs) I think that, yeah, you said earlier that initiation can happen multiple times in your life. Right. And I agree with that. I've definitely gone through a few, I believe. Yeah, I, so I have an initiation story specific to witchcraft in and of itself. And that's the one I'll tell because, oh, I forgot. I was actually initiated into a coven when I was 20, but it's funny that didn't even come up. Like when I was thinking about initiations. Well, I think I'm undergoing one right now, but that is not finished. So I can't tell the story yet. Okay. But, uh, okay. So this is actually like a five part series on my YouTube channel, which I don't, I think I haven't deleted anything on there. I just think that I have it privatized at the moment, but I did a five part series on it because there's so much to the story, but I'll, I'll kind of try to keep it short. Uh, when I was in my mid twenties, I started having seizures like out of nowhere. Like I had a couple when I was like 19, like 18, 19. And I didn't really think anything of it because they weren't continuous. They didn't like, it was just a couple random seizures. Like it was weird. So then in my mid twenties, I started having them a lot like, and I'm talking like three a day. Um, and so I was in and out of the hospital. I had every test under the sun and long story short, the doctor eventually came in and said, so physically we can't find anything wrong with you, but we did notice something in your sleep study where the brain waves, which control your, like the, the input of emotional stimuli that you receive, they're higher than they should be like a lot higher. And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what that means. So that's all that they could tell me. They discharged me, sent me home. And I didn't, at that time, I didn't look into it further. I was just like, okay, well, that's weird. Eventually they got better. Uh, and they, and they stopped and I haven't had, I haven't had one now for years, but that's how this all started. So I went through that, then ended up getting pregnant, having a miscarriage 
and experiencing domestic violence and then experiencing being in stage four heart failure where like there's only four stages of heart failure and I was in stage three, four. So basically that's like, you're dying. So I experienced all of those things within the span of like a year. Jeez. Uh, yeah. So needless to say, after the heart diagnosis, which was after my miscarriage and domestic violence situation, after I was diagnosed there, I went and lived with my parents because I literally couldn't, like, I couldn't walk a flight of stairs, things like that. I was so out of breath. Um, so I had a lot of time to think a lot of time to research. And so that's when I was like, I wonder if there's more to those seizures that I was having, like, like, and I just started getting curious about that, that whole thing again. And so that's when I really started researching, like, what does it mean when your emotion brainwaves are higher? What does that mean? What does, you know, and that's when I came across clairsentience and being empathic and all of that. And then that kind of opened up the pathway to witchcraft for me. Now, mind you, I had been reading tarot and learning tarot since I was, you know, nine, nine, 10, 11 years old. Uh, but that wasn't anything that I equated to witchcraft specifically. And I had some witchy mentors growing up that I didn't even know that they were witches at the time. Uh, but now being an adult, I found out that they were witches. Um, and I spent a lot of time around them and it's probably why I was attracted to them so much. Yeah. And so that's my initiation story into witchcraft, but typically like, this is what I mean when I say like life will initiate you. Oh yeah. Like you will go through hell. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It's funny. People will be like, Oh, you know, I miss, I miss being a kid. And I'm like, Nope, don't miss it. Yeah. I, I don't because know how- of what I went through as a kid. I don't like, I remember being a kid and thinking I'll be happy when I'm an adult because, you know, I can make my own life and I'll be happy basically. Yeah. Times you're put, I mean, well, often life throws these things at you, you're put into these situations and they become a part of the initiation process, right. Or trigger it or what have you. Right. And in general, so when we just went through like the macabre and controversial uh, initiation rites that exist. And we said that those are more tradition-based, coven-based, mm-hmm. people-based. So the initiation stories that we've just told are far more solitary witch-based. And I dare say that 75% at least of solitary witches that I know have a story similar to this. I agree. And you know, it's, I actually read another blog about this. Somebody else had blogged about it and called it, um, said that it's when the spirit world is, is kind of calling to you and like mm-hmm. initiating you. I think that's cool to look at it like that. And I think at least for me, like there were other things as well, uh, throughout growing up 
in childhood that I experienced that I would say made me more sensitive to the spirit world and definitely because I think that I'm a walking liminal being personally because I don't have all of my internal organs functioning the way that they should. So I've been clinically dead on a table for so many hours <laughs> for multiple and times. What happened? What do you mean? What happened? I was on, uh, well, look, well, what do you, do you remember anything while you were no, dead? I don't. And you know, that's okay. funny. It's funny to me that people say that they see the light and you know, all that stuff. No, I, I, I haven't. And then people say, well, that's because you really weren't dead. And I'm like, well, okay, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the real deal is because I never. I was just curious. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember anything. But then again, like I've also had family members tell me that I visited them in their dreams and told them that everything was going to be okay because I was chilling with Odin under the yidrasil. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's that. So maybe I don't remember, but I was traveling, I guess. Very cool. Yeah. I just want to say to anybody out there who may be experiencing something similar to this, like I promise it will end. <laughs> yeah. It does end. Mm-hmm. And again, like I think to you go through multiple initiations, depending upon where you are in life, especially women. Yes. Because our bodies literally change. <laughs> I know. I knew when I was 30, when I was about to go through transformation because snakes kept leaving me their, their mm. skin, basically. Yeah. Yep. Well, do you have anything else to add? I do not. All right. Well, I'll wrap it up then. Okay. All right. Shout out to everyone for joining us here for the first episode in season two. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're new or returning. Share Mimir's Well podcast from your favorite podcast app or from our websites to recruit your witchy friends into our mystical hour of macabre topics and dark studies. And remember, despite our sweet reputations, we really have the hearts of men on our altars that we keep in jars.